children it is going to be one of those days but we have good news lou's back say hi lou hi and we've gathered together this week to tell you that you don't get to marry whoever you want (laughs) no no you don't that's not how this works that's not how any of this works now warning the computer has been misbehaving all week my brain has been misbehaving all week i have twice gone to my office to get things that aren't there so i have no idea What's about to happen next? We're we're living on the edge, folks. We are living on the edge. You are officially right now in Bon Jovi territory. You are halfway there. Whoa, whoa. You are living on a prayer. Now, (coughs) as you can tell by the title of this episode, the doctrine we are looking at is the doctrine, as the Princess Bride famously told you, of marriage is what brings us together today. (laughs) Now, that will make sense later. And I actually, this, is this something we have dove into before? I don't think so. I thought this It is. is. We have mentioned it in passing. I know that much. But if you're going to talk marriage, we could do the long and the short of it. So we're going to do both because okay. that's how we're wired. So we're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 5 because that gets us both directions. So the goal of this, uh, of this little episode here is to see how many people we can make mad at us because we are evil fundamentalists. Oh my. Isn't that how this works when you talk about marriage? Yeah, well, I think that's exactly <laughs> how this works. <laughs> so wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Dun, dun, dun. Somewhere, if you listen carefully, you can hear the thud of a feminist hitting the floor. Oh, you heard it, didn't you? I did, heard it. Did you hear it? Oh, there's another one. And another one. <laughs> dropping like flies. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the oh floor. <laughs> I already told you guys it's going to be one of those days. Now, first things first, this does not come out of left field for Paul. Paul, in the previous sections of Ephesians, talks about walking in the Holy Spirit, being subject to one another. There is a hierarchy in life. He told the Roman Christians to be subject to the government because that authority comes from God. He's telling you in life that there there are just ways that this works, and it is what it is. Now, we also can do this little thing. Don't you love how conversations manage to make themselves interwoven into other things? Something Lou and I were just talking about before we hit the record button. Don't you wish you were a fly on the wall for that one? Mm. Harmonization of Scripture. You don't read Bible verses in a vacuum. So when we read, wives, be subject to your own husbands, did I just tell you women folk that you are less than? Absolutely not. And the answer is no. Lou is absolutely right. Absolutely not. Why not? And the answer is for things like Galatians. There is neither Jew nor Creek, slave nor free, male nor female. All are one in Christ Jesus. When you go back to Genesis 1, you see what? He created them in the image of God, male and female. He created them. That's not two dudes, that's male and female. So both Adam and Eve are bearers of the image of God. They are both equal before God. Uh, The dirty little secret of that is we're both equally evil before God, but in Christ we are also equally blessed and redeemed before God. This has nothing to do with any of that. 
All right? That's the first thing. Second thing, own husbands. Lou, do I get to go to the mall, see a woman, and go, hey, I need you to do this for me? No. That, wouldn't, <laughs> that would not end well. The look I just got. Well, I think Lou was like, well, are you trying to get smacked? <laughs> right. are, are you trying to get yelled at and have your face clawed off? I mean, what, what's oh, the goal in here? <laughs> no, this is not me, man, you woman, you listen. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. This has to do with the covenant relationship of marriage, which what brings us together today. I just enjoy doing that, so I'm going to do that every chance I get. This is great. So, <laughs> so that's how this works. That's how this is supposed to work. You belong to one another. First um, Corinthians makes this point. Song of Solomon makes this point. You want to talk about fun stuff? Song of Solomon 2. Read Song of Solomon. You will blush and it will do you good. My beloved is mine and I am his. He pastures his flock among the lilies. I am my beloved and my, my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. That's Song of Solomon 2, Song of Solomon 6, and Song of Solomon 7. And there was nothing about your hair like goats and teeth like sheep. All of that is in there as well. Mm. Yes, one of you're looking for good Bible, good compliments for your significant other. Don't go to Song of Solomon, baby. Your hair is prettier than a field of goats on the side of a mountain. Yeah, that's how you get kicked out of the house. That's how you get the frying pan. Yes, that's how you get the Golden Corral frying pan. There goes another feminist, and we are off to the races. (laughs) Now, you are supposed to do this as you would to the Lord, meaning lovingly, submissively. Joyfully, this is not supposed to be drudgery. Again, this is not, I clubbed you over the head, I get to drag you by the hair back to my cave. This is a picture, and we're not there yet, but this is going to be a picture of the work of Christ in the church. So, with that said, Paul doesn't just make the demand and then give you no reason, he actually gives you a reason. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. This matters. You're now demonstrating something. Go back to your fall. Whose fault was it? Whose fault was it? The fall? Yes, the fall. Adam and Eve at the garden looking at the fruit, the apple, the fig, whatever you think it happens to be. Whose fault was it? Well, he blamed his wife, he but did. it was his fault. But it's his fault. By sin, by one man, sin entered the world. Right. Eve was deceived, but he sinned. <laughs> There's the difference. Eve wasn't expected to get this right. Adam was. That's why it's always a big deal that she gives the fruit to her husband who was with her. Yeah. Yes. That's why you hear the you hear God tell Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. That doesn't mean, men, that you never listen to the voice of your wife. What it means is when she tells you to do something over and against what God has told you to do, you say, uh-uh. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I will sleep on the couch for this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not right. going to go there. So the problem is not that he listened to his wife. The problem is that he listened, in his, listened to his wife in disobedience to God. Right. So that idea is carried forward. Adam was given charge of the garden. Eve was given as a help for that charge. So it's Adam's responsibility, and that has carried through. So the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. Now we're drawing the analogy out already. Yes. So in a marriage, in any relationship, somebody's got to make a decision. Somebody's going to make a decision. You can negotiate about it. You can give input. But at the end of the day, somebody's got to do what? they got to make the decision, yes. right? Yeah. In Christian living, that person is Christ. In marriage, that person is the husband. It's supposed to be. Now, there's – don't – feminists, breathe. Take a deep breath. We're coming back. I promise you this is going to be worth it, so stick with me. Christ himself being the savior of the body. Yeah. Notice this. 
He himself being the savior of the body. Christ is the savior of the church. Husband, do you know what that means? It means, yes, you get to make the final decision, but you know what that also means? You make it in regards to sanctification, discipleship, righteousness. Not, ooh, me, man, her, woman, her, do what I say. No, that's bad caveman theology. We want good, good caveman theology, which is me bad, God good, God redeem. Me follow God, which means I instruct others in how I follow God, which means the decisions that I'm making are made in light of how I follow God, which is why Paul tells the Ephesians in a roundabout way, and he tells the Corinthians directly, follow after me as I follow after Christ. What the husband is supposed to be saying is, honey, follow after me because I am following after Christ. That's a great distinction. And see, and this matters because, you ready? Wives, let's go back and read this real quick. I guess scroll. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, which means, ladies, if he is asking you to follow him in a direction other than Christ, what should you do? You should say no. You should say no. It's, but I'm no longer being subject to my husband. Is he asking you to sin? Well, yes. Then tell him he's an idiot and stop it. That's how this is supposed to work. You are subject to him as to the Lord. Meaning as you're walking in the right direction, you walk faithfully. When he veers off the path, you lovingly correct and continue down the path that leads to godliness. Never veering off of that trail. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Again, this comes in an order. That everything has already been qualified. It has been qualified by his call and your call. So yes, if he's not asking you to sin... Who gets the benefit of the doubt here? He should. He should, right? He should. You may not like it, but he should. All right. Because as long as he is operating and can justify for the best intentions in the path of sanctification, in good discipleship, and he's not asking you to sin, at the end of the day, we should be willing to say, I don't like where God has led me, but this is where God has led me. I may not like where my husband has led me, but this is where he has led me. Right. It's not evil. I may not like it, but if it's not evil, I go willingly. Because, again, someone's going to bear the responsibility. So, just in case... All right, go revive the feminists. Go go wake them up. They're going to like this part, okay? Mm. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oh, dude. We just got a burden, didn't we? Yes, we did. <laughs> this is, again, why I keep saying this is not caveman theology. This is not I club her over the back of the head, you know, drag her back to the cave, and now I'm in charge, and I'm ooga booga main, you know, and I can do whatever I want. You have to be willing to die for them. Yes. I have to be sacrificially leading and loving and giving up, which means, again, the reason I get the qualification to make that final decision is because I'm going to give of myself right. when I make the decision. Right. Which means put her first. You're going to put exactly. your family exactly. Now this. Now, ladies, be very, very careful and pay very good attention because do you know who holds your man to this standard? You do. All right, I'm going to say the quiet part out loud. So if you're a dude, make sure the women in your life hear this. And if you're a lady, make sure you share this with everyone as possible. Men will always do the bare minimum. If all you expect from them is to walk 10 feet, they will walk nine and a half feet and then negotiate every single time. So this is, I, I've told this to teenage girls in youth groups, to college-age women. If he can be 26 and living with four roommates – playing video games and have a girlfriend, he will. He, he just will. Right. If that's the standard, if he can get away with doing that, that's what he'll do. 
And if he can get all the benefits of being married without being married, that's what he'll do. That's a very good way to say it. Yes, I'm, I'm trying to be discreet here. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about the physicality of marriage. I'm talking about, do you know, you would be astounded by how many women I have met in this world who are 20 to 30. Mm-hmm. Attractive women should have men like, you know, hounding after them. And they clean his apartment and they take care of him and they and they, they shop for him. And it's like, and he's literally like living with his three best friends playing Call of Duty 17 hours a day on a beanbag chair. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, honey. Oh, no. Well, he'll grow up eventually. No. No, he won't. Mm-hmm. He won't. If you don't make him, he won't. Yeah. That, that's just – that is the effect of the fall is men work, which means we spend our entire lives trying to avoid what? <laughs> work. Right, right. In our sinfulness, we try to avoid the sinful consequences of our sin. So, I mean, that's just how this is. So, no, if you don't hold him to something better, he won't do that. Mm-hmm. If you don't go, wait a minute. What exactly are you giving up for my submission here? He won't. Yeah, that's right. You call each other to account. You walk in marriage together. Again, trust him. Follow after him. But make sure you're going, um, I have questions, and I would like answers. Well, I, as someone who's raised six daughters, I can tell Pray you— Pray for this man. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you that the— the choices that they make are important because if they try to find a fixer-upper, chances are that person is never going to be what they want them to be. No, not, not, in, a, not in a million years. Right. So, I mean, they need to find people that have the same values that they were brought up on and and that they're looking for. Yeah. And that's you, why. You, you can't yeah. just exp- – I mean, yes, women have a great influence over – Absolutely. But there are still, like you said – We don't We don't encourage evangelistic dating. Right. Yes. Right. That's that's, that's, that's not that's, how this works. That's, that's not exactly how. There are a handful of success stories. Yeah. There are a lot more train wrecks and shipwrecks of the soul. That's right. Now, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Guys, with this is the, the goal. Word. Yeah. This is the goal that you are making decisions to go I've said this before, I'll say it again. Do you have a Bible verse? Why are we doing this? Do you have a Bible verse? Mm -hmm. Why am I living like this? Do you have a Bible verse? If you don't, find one. And if you can't find one, you know what you got to do? You got to change the way you You got to change something else. You got to do something else. You've got to be able to justify who you are, what you're doing, and why you're doing it according to the principles of Scripture. That's the worldview we're trying to help you build. That's what we're trying to do with Tuesdays on Worldview, what we're trying to do on Thursdays going through the news, what we try to do on Sunday mornings with the sermon time. What we try to do here is look at a, look at a passage, look at a doctrine, and actually make sense of this right. because it matters to how you see the world because the world doesn't see it like this. Right. And if we can't explain why we're doing what we're doing, we are defeated before we even start the battle. So, dude, in every avenue of your life, you are supposed to be grounded in the word. That includes your wife. So, fighting with my wife this week. Why? What doctrinal thing is she violating? What sin is she engaged in that you're fighting with this woman? Well, nothing. I just don't. Then shut up. Mm -hmm. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. There are bigger fish to fry. There are more important things to be worried about. Take the log out of your eye and then worry about the speck that you don't like over there. It's hard for men to do, but you're right. That is so good. 
That's good advice. It may be hard, but it is necessary. No, if, if I can't directly point out how you are undermining something that is biblically based, I need to shut up because it's not worth it. This is true at work. This is true at school. This is true with my friends, and this is true in my marriage especially. And the reason being is because when I do wield the sword, I want to make sure that I'm not doing it 27 times an hour right. so that when people see that I'm wielding the sword, it's like, oh, something important is going on. Right. Like why Why is dad acting like this? Why is my husband being such a big – why is this such a big deal to him? And the answer is because this matters. It is important to the soul. I have endangered myself by not following after this. I need to pay attention. Right. That's the goal. I want her to be sanctified, to be purified. I don't – again, this is not I clubbed you, you're mine, now get over here. Come here, woman. Yeah, make <laughs> me some dinner. Yeah, this is – how do I serve and sacrifice for my family so that my wife is sanctified, so that she is cleansed? Because I got news for you. A wife walking in sanctification isn't going to be fighting with you all the time. Right. Is going to be walking and working with you, not against you. The but, breakdown here is the goals of living. Right. But that's also the product of a husband walking in sanctification. Amen. You know, because if the wife is, you know, the wife should desire to walk in sanctification, but if, if her husband, who's the leader of the family, isn't walking in sanctification, chances are your wife is going to be following you. That's the goal. So. I, this this is this comes up very often. It has come up two different times this week. I, tell, I got to tell two different groups. Um, when marriages break down, you know what they typically break down for? I can summarize it basically two reasons. You're lying to yourself and you're not communicating with one another. That's the end. Yeah. Well, what's the problem in my sanctification? I'm lying to myself, and I'm not communicating well and listening to the word. The breakdown of marriage is the breakdown of Christian living. A breakdown of marriage is a fault in Christian living. Someone somewhere is not being sanctified and not being discipled. Husband, that's your fault. It is. It is your fault to not disciple yourself, discipline yourself, be sanctified so that you are encouraging and leading her. Not cattle prodding from behind, but actually leading. Right. There's a difference. Again, as you said, she's following after me because I'm following after Christ, and she wants to follow after Christ. That means, again, I'm walking in which direction? I'm walking after Christ. Walking after Christ in the right direction. Exactly. <laughs> that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and blameless. Wow. This, is, this is what we want out of my that's life. sacrificial living Yes, right it there. is. But that's again, exactly the way that they, notice what this does for the husband. Yeah. This is not about she's not listening to me and taking care of me. Right. This is about is she going to stand before God blameless? Christ cleanses her. But again, that's justification. In sanctification, God uses means. You cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Right, he right. brings to mind and you walk in faithfulness. One of the means he uses in marriage is your spouse, right. which again, why I told wives, if he's not walking in the right direction, lovingly point that out and go, hey. What, what that? I, I I got questions about this. Mm -hmm. I might be wrong, but I got questions. Right. And then let's have this conversation and be willing to accept correction from both ends. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Notice you that is ought a big one. You ought to love her like she is your own body. Can I let you know a little secret? Because she is, right. you are joined to one another, and you are now. One. one flesh. Right. You love her like she's yours because she is. And she loves you like you're hers because you are. You are one before God. This is this is Jesus's the, the great marriage verse, right? That we read all the weddings. What God is joined together, let as the King James puts it, let no man tear asunder. 
Good old King James. Good old King Jimmy. Kim Jimmy. <laughs> you can listen to Jimmy, but you can't hear Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> so this is how this is supposed to work. You are one. Now, flip side, while that is true, you are also supposed to act like it. When someone's standing there punching himself in the face, you go, something is very broken there. Hmm. Like, that. there's something wrong. That's actually a video making the rounds on social media right now. Okay. Is some, some doofus went to a Holiday Inn, and because there was a mix-up in the whole computer system, he decided to berate the guy working behind the counter. Uh-huh. And the guy working behind the counter has, like, severe disabilities. And he just, he literally, like, panicked and couldn't take it anymore, and he hit the computer. And then the guy kept egging on, egging him on, and egging him on, and egging him on, calling him a racist and everything. Because the guy, the guy working behind the counter is white, and the guy who's had the mix-up on his mixed up against him is, is a black man at the oh, counter. And finally, the guy can't take it anymore. He literally starts punching himself in the head, <coughs> and just having a complete breakdown because he's not he's not right, it's and terrible. he has personality disorders, and he starts crying and hiding in the back room, sobbing uncontrollably. It's horrendous. Hmm. And and the guy who's filming him is an absolute jerk who needs to be taken out into the street and and dealt with but that's another discussion Hmm. my point is when you see somebody standing there sobbing crying screaming and punching themselves in the head you know what you immediately know there's something there's something wrong here they don't love themselves conversely (laughs) when husband and wife are at each other's throats what do you automatically know oh definitely there's something wrong here when you are arguing and talking to her like that that's how you're talking to yourself and vice versa this is why I tell women, don't nag. Not because it's ineffective, but because you, you don't want to nag you. Don't nag him. Mm-hmm. This goes back to the, the golden rule concept, right? How do I treat me? Well, that's how I treat you because you are me. Oh, wait, this got really confusing really quick, didn't it? But that's how this is supposed to function. <clears throat> you are one. You love you. You love them. Therefore, love them like you love you. When I see couples that are having trouble like that and the husband is – treating his wife like a servant this is one of the first verses i go to yeah you know if your husband has the right biblical worldview he's going to understand who he is in christ Mm -hmm. he's going to love himself and therefore he's going to love you and so we you know when i counsel somebody that's the first thing i do okay what's your biblical worldview how do how you know are you spending time in the word how do you understand the things that the script, you know, the vow that you took yeah. to here, to with your this, wife. This stuff matters. This stuff matters, right? So this vow is important. You're to love her as you love yourself, and if you're mistreating her, you don't love yourself, then that tells me you don't have a proper biblical worldview. Exactly. So you do this for no one have no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of His body. Again, this is everything we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Yeah. I think we've Hard gone over stop that. Stop here, but I mean, this is this is looking back. This mm-hmm. this passage of scripture is is something that Genesis two twenty four, right? So. This yeah. is the biblical view of marriage. So, so where does marriage come from? It comes from God. It comes from God. Who ordained its boundaries? God. God. Who ordained its function? God. Right. Who makes the rules? God. God. It's amazing how this all keeps coming back yeah, to the same who place. Who are we to, to redefine and, and Who are you, oh man, to answer back to God? The right. potter does not say to, or the clay does not say, the pot does not say to the to the potter, the clay does not speak back to the thing who made it. Why did you make me this way? Right. <laughs> Remember that verse. We'll be coming back to it shortly. Yeah, this is important. You you are now joined. You become one flesh. Marriage is a, a picture of things before they're broken. 
because remember, Genesis 2.24 is the quote here. Genesis 2 is before Genesis 3. I'm fairly confident <laughs> confident of that. Yeah, I'm, trying to I'm not sure of many things in yeah. life, but I'm pretty sure that yeah. Genesis 2 is before Genesis 3. Yeah. And I know that Genesis 3 contains the fall, which means everything that's before Genesis 3 is before the fall. The institution of marriage was – while it is corrupted by sin because everything is corrupted by sin, it is not a product of the corruption of sin. So it's not like sin comes in and God's like, I got to get something to get these people sanctified. I got it. Let's get them married. No. In a sinless state, Adam and Eve were joined to function, Adam to do, to lead, to be in charge, Eve to follow along, both honoring and serving God in their appointed roles. This is how this works. Right. Yeah. They were set up completely by God to have a successful life, to, to be fruitful and prosper. Yes, fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Right. So, right. I mean, that is the the order of things. God sets you up for success when he ordains a marriage. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Notice this. Marriage is not about how I feel, whether or not we're going to raise kids, how I treat my parents or who's going to take care of me when I'm old. It is about God reflecting his nature, reflecting what he has done on our behalf, and honoring and serving him in all that we do. So that means that I don't ever get to look at somebody and go, well, you know, it just didn't work out. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. When a marriage breaks down, it breaks down for sinful reasons. Somewhere there is a brokenness. And when Christian marriages break down, which luckily if you go digging into the statistics, um, secular marriages fail between 50 to 60% of the time. Luckily, Christian marriages are much lower than that. We are not quite as bad as the world. We're not good, but we're not as bad as the world. So we have a better success rate than they do. But at the same token, when Christian marriages break down, then we definitely know there's a sin problem. Because somebody is not following and walking in the way that they are supposed to. Now then, why do we say all of that? We say all of that because the world is a weird little place sometimes, and it always does weird little things. And one of them is is this right here. <clears throat> you ready for the headline? Bishop found guilty of breaking church law for banning same-sex marriages. Now, if you have no idea what's going on, your initial thought would be that the church law bans same-sex marriage – and the bishop has done something wrong by marrying a same-sex couple, right? That's what you would think, right? <laughs> well, not in this world. I love the name. William Love. <laughs> can we call him Billy? Can, Billy can, 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 we, can, can we call you Billy Love? That just sounds like a bad TV evangelist. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Reverend Billy Love here to talk to you. And if you will send in your love gift this month of fourteen ninety five, we will send you this beautiful, and I mean beautiful, wooden cross box made from wood harvested in the Holy Land. <laughs> How long have you been practicing that? <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, good, good, good old Reverend Billy Love here. Bishop, regional leader of Albany, New York, in the U.S.-based Episcopal Church, has been found guilty, guilty, I say, of breaking his ordination vows and canon law for banning same-sex marriage in his diocese in 2018. 
Yes, he is. He is one of the Episcopalians, which is the American branch of the Anglican Communion. Got it. But again, they've been they've been insane since they had uh, Catherine Jeffert Shorey as their their head bishop. So, yeah, we actually had one of their people come to Rock Valley College, and uh, they were, you know, uh, for the Bible tells me so. There was a, a video, and uh, it, one of their Anglican representatives. Our Episcopal representatives came and explained why, you know, same-sex marriages was a good thing. Yeah, of course it is. Well, I mean, this is this is my favorite right here. Love is the only bishop in the Episcopal Church, the official branch of the International Anglican Communion, based mostly in the U.S., to defy a church law that said same-sex marriage should be available in the denomination in all places where it is legal. He's the only bishop to deny this. There's one dude. What we have just learned is there is one man in the Episcopal Church. Just one. And his name is Billy Love. <laughs> I don't know if he goes by Billy, but if he doesn't, he should. I don't care if he's 75 years old with, like, both feet in the grave. He, he is officially, from this, point forward, from this point forward, Billy Love. So, yeah. He has been found guilty in a unanimous verdict. This is like Athanasius here. He is contramundum against the Anglican Church here. Now... They will have a separate hearing to determine his fate. Like, do they take him out and shoot him or something? That's, this is what I wonder. Like, is he going to get defrocked over this? If so, like if so, he should wear that with great pride. Yeah. And then he can go on TBN, and I am Reverend Billy Love, the only faithful Episcopalian on this planet. And if you will send your love gift at 1995 this month, we too will send you oil made from grapes harvested on the northern slopes of Jerusalem. <laughs> This is going to be the best episode ever. <laughs> Lou is like, why, how, how, I have questions. <laughs> I'm serious though. I mean, doesn't that just sound like the name of one of those dudes? It does. Wait a minute. Wasn't it the, what was the name of the guy who used to be the, um, who was, oh, there was a wrestling manager back in the WWF days who was a fake evangelist. What? That was Buddy Love. Buddy Love. That was Buddy Love. Was it? Yes, I think he managed The Undertaker for a while back in the day. Lou's like, I gotta look this up now. I think you're right. Obscure me. 80s knowledge for the win here. Yeah, because I because I was a kid with too much Saturday morning free time, apparently. Now, okay, you may be asking, why is this story related? Well, because this, is, this story may be a couple of years old. The Episcopalians are off the rails. But here's the problem. The Methodists have gone off the rails. The Presbyterians in multiple iterations have gone off the rails. The Lutherans, every time they split off a faithful group of Lutherans, they go off the rails. The Baptists are going off the rails. It was Buddy Love, wasn't it? I don't know because all I found No, that's Eddie Murphy. Yeah, Eddie Murphy and that, that he's got Buddy Love as his oh, alter did, ego. Did he have a character of Buddy Love from yeah. the Nutty Professor? Why am I not surprised? So Eddie Murphy and a wrestling dude. I am convinced there was some sweaty red-faced dude in a white suit named Buddy Love who who uh, managed wrestlers in the 80s and 90s. I am convinced of this. You will not you will not talk me out of it without without proof from the Google. <laughs> For the Google is wise, and the Google knows all. Hmm. <laughs> yes, that's the dude. Yep, that's him. Yep. Oh, Lou found. See, white tie, white suit, red jacket or red shirt. I mean, yep. yes. See, and he did, and he did that southern voice, and he would bring the man down to the ring. And I, that's how he used to talk. There are people right now going, I cannot believe you people are doing this. Brother, yes, see? Brother love. Oh, brother love. Okay, right. that. See, I knew it was something. So can we have Reverend Brother Billy Love? 
That that's a name right there. That's a business card right there. Wherever this man may be, know that he has my utmost respect for defying this. Now, anyway, why does this matter? Because again, you may be one of those people sitting there going, "Well, I don't understand what the big deal about same-sex marriage is." And to be honest with you, if the government said that they want to do same-sex marriage, I don't see what the big deal is either because the pagans be pagan in. Right. So when the government says, hey, you come down to the justice of the peace and we will marry you, I don't care if you're two guys, I don't care if you're two girls, I don't care if you're a dog and a cat, I just don't care. Caesar will marry whoever. And I would go, well, Caesar's a pagan and doesn't know any better, so that makes perfect sense to me. This is a supposedly Christian denomination. Right. And this is the place that they have been attacking. They didn't want approval from Caesar. They wanted approval from the church, not because they demanded church approval, because they wanted to tear the church down. Marriage is not about who you love. Marriage is not about what you like sexually. Marriage is about God and his gospel message. He ordains it before sin, and he ordains it as a husband following after his commands faithfully, leading his wife in sanctification and discipleship. He defines it as a wife given by God unto a husband to follow after him in discipleship and sanctification, meeting the needs where he is lacking because he is the doofus of the group. <laughs> well <laughs> make, put. Make sure somebody's paying attention out there. Everywhere the men went, amen. And everywhere the women just went, yeah. amen. Yeah. <laughs> Following after, meeting the needs, filling the gaps because it is necessary. Now, if you're ever wondering, this is why same-sex marriage is the abomination that it is. Because I don't care how effeminate a dude is, he's not a girl. Right. And I don't care if it's 2021, just because you say you're a girl doesn't make you a girl. The, the plumbing is important here. Mm-hmm. You just got canceled. So I, I'm happy for that. There, there goes another feminist. We lost another one. <laughs> Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. <laughs> or we could convert, uh, converse again. Dan, 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 dan. Another one bites the dust. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yes, we're having all sorts of good fun today. No, I don't care how effeminate one guy may be and how masculine another one may be. They are not the complementary pair that God has made. Conversely, I don't care how girly and bimboy she is and how masculine and butchy she is. Once again, they are not the covenant complementary pair that God has made. Therefore, they cannot engage in this rightly because they are not following rightly. You cannot start with what God calls sin and then proclaim it to be a path of discipleship. It's like, I don't get to walk in and be like, hey, you know, cheated on my wife four times this week. It's going to be a good discipleship but week. God would want me to be happy. Yeah, God wants me to be happy. And so what makes me hang happy is, you know, hanging out with strange women that aren't my wife. And everybody would look at me and go, that's not how this is supposed to work, dude. Mm-hmm. You've just redefined marriage. Yes. And so, but she's okay with it. She's happy with it. What's that got to do with the price of tea in China? How are you loving your wife and sacrificing for your family? Right. This is, the, again, this is the breakdown. And these are the problems that, that come out of this. So. I don't know any person that would be happy with a situation like that in their right mind. Well, see, there you go. Once again, in, I have to qualify that. Now but. come back to what I was talking about earlier. When you see somebody screaming, crying, and punching themselves in the face, you know what? There's something wrong. There's something wrong. Conversely, when you see families and couples going, no, it's okay. We, we, just, we just have different ways of expressing our love for each other. You know something is broken. When you see 
when you see 24-year-old girl who can do so much better going, but I love him and and he'll grow out of it. And so I do the grocery shopping and drop it off as an apartment and I clean up the place when I'm there. And, and you know, I still hang out with him and we go out on occasion and, you know, and then we do things we're not supposed to do in the bedroom on Thursday nights. And something is wrong. Something is broken. That's not how this is supposed to work. And again, <coughs> excuse me, if he won't man up, and say we need to aspire to something better, then you need to say, no, we're not going that direction, and I demand something better. Again, once again, I say men will always drift to the lowest common denominator. That was why, you know, with the uh, healthcare fight several years ago, they why did where do they come up with 26? Your your children can now stay on your health insurance until they're 26 years old. Well, because the average age of marriage had just recently moved to about 27, 28. Really? So they put it right under the average age of marriage. Right, okay. It's part of the reason. Kind of makes sense. It does, but the problem is, you ready for this one? The average age of marriage in this country shouldn't be 28 years old. It shouldn't be. Because we're not expecting enough from our children. We're not expecting enough from our teenagers. We're not expecting enough from our young adults. We're not training them in discipleship. And look, you want to know how much you've been influenced by the world? If I tell you that two 19-year-olds are getting married, which first thought? Uh huh. That's only been true for about 150 years in human history. Well, my my wife's grandmother married her grandfather when she was, uh, I want to say, 15. So people are thinking, what? And he was in his 20s, but yeah. But uh, uh, it was not until about 100, 150 years ago. You were 17. You're like, what's wrong with you, honey? You're an old man. Nineteen twenty, like what? What? You're never going to get a man at this rate. I joke with my girls about that all the time. Now, why is it so much higher? Because we're delaying marriage. Because we're da- we're satisfying whose needs and desires. Mine. I want to get a better education. I want to get a better job. Yeah, right here. You're right, Lou. Do you have enough money to raise kids? No. <laughs> If you, if you, people will be like, I want to make sure that I'm stable and able to raise kids and afford them. That will be never, never. Never. I want to make sure that I'm emotionally stable and ready to be married. That will be never, never. You're never going to be emotionally stable. You want a great quote on this? Go watch the movie McClintock, John Wayne movie. Great film. He's got all the land and he's got thousands of acres as a rancher. And he tells his daughter, I'm not giving any of it to you. I'm going to give you like a hundred acres and a head of cattle and you're on your own. And he tells her why, and the answer is because you will be blessed, and I'm summarizing here, but you will be blessed with the young man that you marry when you two struggle and grow together. Yeah. And he's absolutely right. You growing up, so to speak, from 18, 19, 20 years old into mature adults, you actually learning and walking that path of sanctification together is a blessing. It's good for you, it's good for each other, and it's good for our society because it gives you something higher to strive for and higher to work for. Now, until we can actually make sense of that, we're always going to lose the same-sex argument because we're not rightly defining marriage from a Christian perspective. So when the world comes in with their abomination of marriage, we go, well, that's not how this is supposed to work. And they go, well, how is it supposed to work? And we go, I don't know. God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. You've missed it. You have not defined it biblically. You have not defined it rightly. You have not understood the categories that are at work. This is not just about two guys and two women being unable to marry. This is about two men and two women being unable to perform 
the action of sanctification in this manner, to be able to mirror the work of Christ in the church. And that gets lost. The culture doesn't understand that because the culture doesn't see us in our marriages saying there's something better. There's something higher. We don't raise our children with this understanding. We don't treat each other with this expectation. We look like the world, and we sound like the world, and we walk like the world. And if it looks like a duck and it sounds like a duck, it's probably a duck. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. They're trying to tear down the institution of the church. They are, and we're helping. I got news for them. The gates of hell won't prevail against the church. No, it won't. But welcome to judgment on the church because if we're helping them, what's the best thing God can do? Well— yeah, right. right. <laughs> Judgment comes and falls on on his people first, and then on the yeah. rest. And but again, so we don't get to define. House first. Yeah, we don't get to define our own marriages. God right. is defined, but but again, but the problem becomes is we tell that to them out there, and we don't tell that to us in here. So we have husbands that don't lead, we have wives that don't follow, and we have Christians who aren't being sanctified. And that's the breakdown of marriage in the church. So while our marriages may not be falling apart at the same rate the worlds are. They're not thriving in the way that the gospel message would intend them either. All right, discipleship is the key component. We need to be discipled every yes. day. We need to be discipling each other. And see, and this is the argument we should be bringing to the table against same-sex marriage. The argument that we're bringing is that is wrong because it is a violation of discipleship. What do you mean it's a violation of discipleship? Well, see, this is what marriage is, and this is how it works. So this is how I talk to my wife, and this is how we work together. And yes, she loves me and follows, but at the end of the day, I have decisions to make in accordance with who God is and what honors him. And she has a responsibility to check that and follow after God as I'm walking in that direction. Now, you say that to the world, and they look at you like, huh? Because that's what they're not hearing. They're just hearing you're an abomination. Well, you are. But that's only half the story. The other half of the story is that there is a picture of grace and mercy on display day in and day out in our marriage. Because here's the thing. If, if we're following the way I just described, how many times is that wife going to have to extend grace to her husband because he led them in a way that was nitwittery? I mean he's not going to get it right every time. Right. That's not going to be as often. It's, but there are going to be – Right. Over a 35-year marriage, let's just pick a ballpark number. Over a 35-year marriage, over under, she's going to have to extend him some grace 25 times. Oh, my wife extends me grace all Because the time. he made a decision that she went along with that she didn't think was right, but she respected his decision. You know what? Families aren't sitting down at the table anymore. Well, this is what I'm talking about. Evaluating things based on a biblical perspective. This is what I'm talking about. Now, conversely, in a 35-year marriage, over under 25 times, how many times is that husband going to have to extend grace to his wife because he was leading in a godly direction and she's refusing to, to go along with it? And the answer is pick the over every single time. Right. And the reason I'm pointing that out is because there's another way that your marriage is a picture of the gospel is you're leading, but she's not following. But you continue to love and you continue to encourage and you continue to lead. And she eventually follows in. You're following, but he's not leading in the right direction. But you continue to love and you continue to correct and you continue to extend grace and you continue to follow. And eventually he realizes and we now walk in the right direction because he's following the example you're laying. He's following the example you're laying out by following it. This is what Peter talks about, that by your behavior you'll win your husband if he's an, unbel- if he's an unbeliever. Right, See, right. 
This is another way that our marriages are a picture of gospels, just like you're talking about, is we're actually sitting down and talking about these things. Again, we have thrown caveman marriage out the window. It's not me, man, her, woman, she follow. It's, no, I get advice from my wife. I get counsel from my wife. I explain to her what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, mm-hmm. just like I do with my children. I explain what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and why it's important and why they need to do the things that they're doing because this is – I don't just tell you what. I tell you why. Because the why connects us to who we are and what we're doing. And if we're not doing that in our marriage, then we don't bring that message to the public square. And then what we try to do is we have the fight. We go, well, we'll pass a marriage amendment. They're going to find a way to overturn it because Caesar's going to do what Caesar's going to do. What we have to be willing to do is, guys, you go have your fun at your sin parties, and when you're ready to talk about sanctification, we're going to be over here being sanctified. Right. And we're going to continue to stand here and proclaim to you your sin and iniquity until you come around. And if you don't come around, well, as I mentioned in church a couple weeks ago, you keep follow, keep walking against God and shaking your fist against him long enough, bad things are going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. And that's the message we have to be proclaiming. Right. But it starts – and here's why – this is why I get I get a kick out of picking on good old Billy Love here. But this is why I said he's the one dude in the Episcopal Church. One man said he no. No. That's not Christian and I won't be a part of it. I don't care what you do. I'm not going to do it. Christian, this is how you have to live in your marriage. You have to say, my marriage will honor God. Mm-hmm. I don't care what the rest of you do. If you don't honor God in your marriage, I can literally say, not in an insulting way, to hell with you. Because that's where you're headed if you refuse to honor God in your lives. But as for me in my house. Yeah, okay, <laughs> that's what's getting lost here, and that's what's broken. This is the message that matters. Now, anything we miss, any, any loose ends we think we need to tie up, because we're pushing up on our Bible study time, so we gotta we got to get there. Nope, nope, I think we covered it pretty well. All right, so what have we learned here today, children? Michael is out of his mind. God ordains marriage. God's ordination has conditions. And we don't get to define Christianity by ourselves. Yeah. We have to define God it. defines it. God defines it, and he defines it. It's amazing. Like, so, now, it would be so much easier if he defined it and wrote it down, wouldn't it? It's, wouldn't yeah. that just be helpful? It is. It is written down. <laughs> It is. It's that line. There's this, there's a, there's this movie that I love called Lake Placid about the giant alligators. Oh, and the it. guys, um, the Oliver Platt's character is talking to the sheriff, and he goes, well, the big alligators, they're all on – the big crocodiles, they're all on the move, and they're migrating. And the guy goes, how do you know this? And he goes, well, they hide that kind of information in books. Uh-huh. <laughs> I do remember that. And that's how I always feel about Christianity. You're like, how do you know this? Well, they hide this information in books, mm-hmm. which is why we say, read your Bible. It'll do you good. So questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. Go to the website, practicaltheologyministries.com. You'll find everything you want to find on the website. It'll be good for you. You can find the links to the social media that we don't use. <laughs> but if you want to get in touch with us, that's another way you can do so. Um, trying to keep regular schedule, so hopefully we'll be back again with you guys as we go. Again, keep uh, prayers for Lou and family. Mm-hmm. Uh, wife is doing better, but still issues going on. So. Yeah. Just keep in prayer. We would greatly appreciate it. And until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.